welcome to the Chapter 49 podcast. We've been away for a few weeks uh, for the holidays, and now it's January, early January, and we are back and, and ready to work again, whether ready or not, like it or not. Uh, my name is Larry Lannon. I'm a volunteer with Chapter 49 and a retiree. We welcome you back to our Chapter 49 podcast. And once again, welcome Duncan Giles, our Chapter President. Duncan, you know, I, I think it's very important that we start this podcast before we introduce our guest by just clearing up one thing. I just want to say one word to start this podcast. Travis. <laughs> I, I, that's an inside joke with J- Duncan. I, D- Duncan, when we do these podcasts, Duncan, oh, he, he uh, talks about his uh, girlfriend. He talks about his daughter, but he has a son-in-law and his son-in-law is a regular listener of this podcast and always gives him a hard time that nobody ever talks about him. So Travis, that one was for you. <laughs> and he's I, a wonderful, and he's a wonderful guy and taking care of my uh, sick daughter today. So, uh, m- more power to him, and he, he he's a good good man. Had a chance to meet Travis uh, at the wedding and en- enjoyed that as well. Let's bring in our guest, and if you're looking on uh, video, you can already see we have a guest this week. Lori McCann is Chapter 10 in Chicago's uh, president. So, Lori, welcome. It's great to have you back uh, a second time, first time on video. Thank you. Thank you so much, Larry and Duncan. And I have one question for Travis. Is there video of Duncan dancing at the wedding? Please, please share it. You know, now I'm sorry I didn't get that. (laughs) I was there and I had a chance, Lori, but didn't get it done. Larry, come on now. (laughs) Might have a still picture or two. I'd have to go look, but (laughs) no no video. (laughs) Yeah, I know there's a still picture. I don't believe there's video. I believe I made the proper payments to the right people, and I don't believe there's any video of that. Travis, come through for us now. Okay, all right. Well, um, I guess we have to get down to business at some time, so we're going to get down to the serious business of what we have to deal with. Duncan and I haven't talked on the podcast for a few weeks. A lot has happened. Uh, in uh, the whole issue of vaccinations and uh, the spread of, um, of of the entire COVID and, and the Omicron that is uh, spreading very fast all around America and certainly in our local area. Records are being broken on positive testing. Uh, we're just seeing the hospitals fill up. It's not a pleasant story. So I, I, we're going to bring uh, Duncan in, but I'm going to ask Laurie to start. Um, what are things like in, in that realm up in Chicago? Oh, my goodness. So we have uh, 10 posted duties um, under our jurisdiction and some of our outside of our state. But uh, as Duncan knows, we receive uh, daily reports of when someone uh, tests positive. And it, it, there, now we're receiving multiple reports every single day. Every post of duty, uh, we are receiving uh, notices, sometimes, especially the one in downtown Chicago, which is a federal building. Um, you're getting like four or five notices a day because it also has the um, non-IRS employees. So it's pretty tough right now, you know, and I feel for the employees that uh, are have to that are required to go into the office. And I assume that that's in a situation where there are a number of employees not even working in that federal building, but even with a slimmed down staff, you're still getting positive cases. It, it, it's so strange. I was there uh, right before the holidays 
And I think I ran into one person. Uh, there's 39 floors in the building. I ran into one person. So to see the cases coming in is just astounding. So, yes. So can you imagine um, in that building, the, the ones that are required to come in every day are from the TAC. I was about to date myself and say walk-ins. So from the TAC. <laughs> As a former ta- as a former tag manager, walk-ins still always crept into the conversation somehow, didn't it? And that's all I can say. I have to catch myself every time. But they're required to come in, and then we have some support and and also appeals. And I'm concerned uh, because of the examiners and appeals that have to come in. Well, Duncan, let's move to you. Uh, what's your status report situation in the state of Indiana? Uh, much like Lori said. We do get these reports from the different posts of duties. Um, we do see them because our posts of duties are so slimmed down and not as many people reporting. The vast majority are not showing up a lot, but they are still coming in. The Indianapolis Federal Building, uh, it was uh, you know right before the holidays and probably a month or so before the holidays. We get maybe one a week. Now we're getting multiples per week. Uh, not always IRS employees. In fact, the majority of the time, it's non-IRS employees. But, uh, you know, like Lori says, I share her concern with people that do have to come into the office. Um, You know, sometimes I have to make sure to remind them the ones I do see, please make sure you're wearing your mask, social distance, you know, those basic things that are still in play, uh, especially with Omicron, that need to be done because this is so highly transmittable. And Lori, here's the thing, and Duncan keeps me in the loop with a lot of what's going on. I've been seeing a lot of uh, email traffic about the uh, suspension letters that are now coming out now that the holiday uh, season is over. Uh, I'm seeing some interesting stories there. What's the situation in Chicago? Are you? I mean, I'm, the, the service doesn't tell you how many letters go out. I'm sure you're hearing about it. Uh, what, what's the what, what? What do things look like at least at this moment in that regard? Well, actually, this week uh, they started going out, and um, you know, I know they said they would wait till after the holidays. You know, that was that was nice. However, goodness gracious, the Monday after we come back from the holidays, the letters come back. So I guess uh, technically they st- they stuck to it, uh, you know, after the holidays. But good goodness gracious. Uh, so, Larry and Duncan, what happened is I did get a spreadsheet. It doesn't have the employees' names, uh, but it has uh, the manager's name and it uh, of the employees that received the suspension letters. So their personal information was redacted. So, yes, uh, they did go out. Um, You know, unfortunately, this is the situation we're in at this time. And what are employees telling you? I'm just curious. uh, They have an option if they wish to challenge this. uh, They could use the union contract to do so. Or you used to call it EEO. They call it EDI, I think, now. I'm dating myself here. But uh, through the the EEO process, as we've known in the past, uh, are you are are your you and your stewards receiving a lot of requests for union representation at this point, or just people asking what their choices are? At this point, they're just asking about uh, their choices. And and one thing I can say is a, a national NTU uh, did a very good job of educating uh, the chapter leaders 
uh, on the options for the employees, uh, for our members. And so uh, we, we are ready, we have the knowledge, we're ready for it. Um, and I'm not gonna say the tsunami, but we're ready for <laughs> yeah. it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and um, so we, we got really good training on it. Uh, you know, you had an idea before. Um, of course, we've all worked uh, adverse actions for years. And so we have the experience with that. But we want to, especially in this situation, you want to make sure that you are giving very good advice. And at this point, we're just giving advice. Uh, so far, we haven't found any grievances uh, for the ones who have received the suspension letters. And we only have a few days left. So we'll see what happens with that. And Duncan, uh, your assessment of this in Indiana? Uh, I'm going to echo a lot of uh, Lori's sentiments, and you know it pains me to t- say that you know how on point she is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, in seriousness, yeah, it's right now. It's a lot of advice we're seeing, and in this one sort of baffled me that there have been several employees who had been fully vaccinated by the date, but chose not to put it on our HR Connect system because they wanted to prove a point or something along that line. And it's like, it's a point worth three days of your suspension. Please, Lord, send them your information, you know, because you can, according to the letter, send them the information that you have been fully vaccinated, show them your documentation. So you can show uh, that you have been following the proper steps. So you will not get suspended because we don't want to see any harm come to employees. We do want to see everybody, uh, vaccinated or put in for a reasonable accommodation. For the IRS, the last stats that we got, which were right before Christmas, was about 88.5% were fully vaccinated, uh, including uh, about 15% of that uh, having their booster shot. Uh, another percentage point or so had... Um, had at least one shot and we're assuming had gone ahead and gotten a second one or is in the process of getting the second one. Uh, we have about 6% that had gone in for reasonable accommodations, which we still have not heard anything about yet. So we're waiting for those to come back and, uh, you know, chapter leaders like Lori and myself are, are God only knows what we're going to get on those. We just, it's the fear of the unknown almost with that. Let me go to and right now, the go folks ahead, who are getting these letters are the ones who uh, either haven't put their information into HR Connect or have said that they will not get vaccinated. And that makes it very tough if they don't have any religious or medical grounds to defend them. But we will do the best that we can. You know, Laurie, what uh, Duncan just mentioned, there's something we've talked about on many <clears throat> occasions in the past, and that's, you know, all these reasonable accommodation requests are out there. Uh, the service said they have a system to deal with it. But, you know, you look at some examples that we have. I saw a story uh, a couple of weeks ago that the Marine Corps had denied every single request for a reasonable accommodation based on sincerely held religious belief. So we still don't know the policy or the the guidelines or the elements that the service is going to use to uh, deal with these reasonable accommodations. Many of them are are religious, some are medical, but there's more than 5,000 of them pending. So uh, you wonder how this is going to end up. You've got the first phase with these suspensions, then you're going to be dealing with these reasonable accommodation requests that either are going to be denied or the accommodation itself may not be acceptable to the employee. 
Are you still kind of holding your breath on that as well? Well, I've had a, a few conversations about the what they call I'm, I'm using my ear quotes here, the interactive process. So it's a two part process, you know, um, this and this is the part where the uh, reasonable accommodation specialist will reach out uh, to the employee that that submitted it. And if there are any questions, you know, they can clarify anything. And especially since in the beginning, there was not a form for the religious um, exception. And so, um, and, and the form came later on. And so uh, we have had conversations with employees that have received uh, um, contact from the RA specialist. Uh, I also represent council uh, in our area and they were quicker um, to to contact the employees, but they have a much smaller number. I mean, nationwide in council, there's only 39 for reasonable accommodation. Uh, 27 were uh, religious and 12 were medical. So, uh, but I have heard from our members where they're starting to reach out to them. And I think that they're going to come in fast and furious uh, within the next week or two, and then they'll go to this, um, here my air quotes again, team or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is from the agency. And, you know, what what are they going to do with, what, in the, what, okay. What in the, here, here's the lack of coffee right here. What in the heck are they going to do with 5,000? Let me, let me have <laughs> you take a sip of coffee, Lori, while I, uh, while I ask Duncan, <laughs> you know, the uh, that two-step process is, is a key part of that, Duncan. And are, have you been able to, get any feedback or indications from employees who've talked to you about how that first step is going? Um, I, uh, again, echo what Lori has said, that they are reaching out, the specialists are reaching out for any qualifying information they need so they can make their recommendations. Because how this is going to work is they're going to be making this recommendation. And then to use uh, Lori's air quotes, um, they're going to go before this board. We don't know who's on this board. We don't know what type of decisions uh, they're going to make, how they're going to make them, what they're going to qualify on. Um, one of my biggest fears is, you know, I want everybody to be tweet, uh, treated equitably. Mm. And so if you're giving it to one person in Chicago, the Indianapolis person with the same type of conditions or the same type of uh request for religious accommodation better be treated the same way. Yeah. Whatever the accommodation is, it better be fairly standard across the board or you're going to have issues. The other, the flip side is, you know, if they give accommodations to people saying, okay, well, you haven't been vaccinated, so you don't have to come into the office at all. Well, there's, you know, almost 90% of the people of employees who have done what was asked under this mandate and have gotten or are in the process of being fully vaccinated, who are going to be saying, hey, look, I don't want to have to come into the office either. Why are they getting to be able to do it? So there's a whole host of questions out there that are going to be, you know, looked at. One of the uh, conditions that uh, National President Tony Reardon sent in his letter to the administration was, hey, look, we would like for those that are unvaccinated to have the ability to be tested instead of being forced to be vaccinated. So there's a whole bunch of variables out there right now that we just don't know the answer to or how they're going to move forward on this. 
You know, I want to go back to you, Lori, because one thing Duncan and I have talked about uh, for several weeks is this evacuation order. You know, back in October, maybe even early November, there was speculation that, hey, that that 30-day notice is going to come down and maybe as early as January 4th, the evacuation order would be lifted. Well, it doesn't look like that's even close to being on the agenda now. The Omicron is, is spreading very fast as far as a variant of COVID is concerned, even though it's not as as, as, as bad as far as uh, how it affects you, although it does affect some people very badly. It's not as lethal as uh, some of the other COVID uh, variants that we've had. Uh, we still uh, are waiting. So I'm, I'm guessing that that evacuation order is not going to be lifted anytime soon. Is that the word you're getting? Um, that's what I'm hearing also. Um, I, I just don't see how it's possible, especially the way the cases are coming in fast and furious. Um, and I would think later spring, I'm not even going to say early spring, later spring. Um, I, I think one thing that will affect it is the processing of the tax returns uh, for this year. You know, they were so far behind before. And I think that if... Um, this is probably is an unpopular thing to say, but I think that if the public uh, is as upset as they were before about the slow processing of the returns because of the uh, the limitations on the employees, you know, spacing and that type of thing, uh, who have to actually process the returns and the paperwork and that type of thing, I think that that's going to push Congress, which is going to push the agency to try to lift the evacuation order a little bit earlier. But without that, I would say, and I don't know, as, as I look into the magic eight ball my granddaughter left over here, I'm going to say maybe April or May or something like that. Yes, I got one of those uh, one of those balls for Christmas one year. <laughs> it didn't help me very much, but it probably was as <laughs> reliable as anything when it comes to this issue. You, you know, Duncan, what, what I'm seeing uh, in some of the news reports, places that uh, had uh, Omicron found where it was first discovered, places like South Africa and, and other parts of the world, what they're finding now, the, the scientists are, t- are saying, is that Omicron, yes, it's very easy to transmit, but it kind of flames out quickly that uh, some of the places in the world that saw it first are seeing it go away. If there's any little bit of good news, I suppose that's that's something that we can hope will happen here. Absolutely. And that's that's been the uh, the way it's gone. But it continues to mutate. Um, you know, even though it's still Omicron, it's it's there are different variants of that. Uh, and as it goes through people. So we're hoping that it doesn't become um, more destructive to people's bodies lasting longer things of that nature we're hoping that it doesn't do that way uh i'm with Lori in the fact that i think that they originally were looking at much earlier but because of this wave because of first delta and now omicron that there isn't any way to go into the offices even uh you know reopen them fully even with congressional pressure uh before the end of uh the end of March, I would say, at the very earliest, because that's one of the things that when they just extended the uh, child care coverage to help people out who are teleworking, uh, that they extended that to the end of March. So that led me to believe that when they said that, they said the that would be extended to the end of March or until the evacuation orders lifted, whichever comes first. And I think at this point, they're waiting to see if the 
if this variant will burn through and hopefully no other variants come falling behind it, and possibly they can open on April 1st. You know, Duncan, Laurie mentioned something very interesting. Neither one of you represent service center employees, but the very first outbreak, major outbreak of COVID early in this this pandemic happened at the Kansas City Service Center, and they had a terrible time. And I, I wonder how much can be done because so much paper processing is what's behind right now. Um, you know, how easy or how difficult is it going to be for these service centers to process the backlog of of paper returns, which I understand is still there in the hundreds of thousands. I think it's over a million. You tell me. It's it's well over a million. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Lori and I talked to these uh, service center chapter presidents, and it's it's absolutely horrible conditions. Um, you know, at least call site employees are able to work from home if they so choose and if they have the equipment, for the most part. With the folks in the service center, just because of the nature of their job, they can't. They've got to have that spacing. They've got to be wearing masks, and it makes the work extremely difficult. So even even if they did say, okay, we're going to end the evacuation order, these folks are still going to have to be six feet apart. They're still going to be having to wear masks all the time. And you're going to have a lot of resistance from people that are saying, I don't feel safe in going back to this environment, which is totally understandable. Um, so it's there's there's going to be issues and it's not going to make uh, taxpayers or Congress happy, but there's not going to be much we're going to be able to do about it because the number one thing that we have to do is make sure our employees are as safe as possible. Well, uh, again, COVID tends to be our, our number one issue almost every week. Uh, just before we move on to something else, I'll give each of you a chance to just add anything you want about the entire COVID situation you think people need to know. Uh, Laurie, I'll give you the first shot at that. Well, you know, it's it's just that it's such a challenging situation. And you think about how long we've been going through this. And uh, one thing that I, I keep saying to my members also is that we have to remember to be kind. Um, it has gotten so stressful, so challenging, so stressful. And um, sometimes there's a lack of civility, even in uh, some of the meetings that I attend. It's, uh, it's gotten kind of bad. And so we just need to remember to be kind to each other, uh, to be informed. Uh, Duncan is putting out a lot of information. You're putting out a lot of information. So am I, you know, be informed, make an informed decision, but be kind to those who do not agree with you. That That's just something that's just close to my heart. You know, I don't have to agree with you, but I, I'm glad that we live where you can make a choice. You know, but just be kind to others. Honestly, that's 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 near and dear to my heart right now. And a very important message for this day and time, Duncan. Anything you want to add about COVID? Uh, well, first off, I want to know if Lori's going to start being kind to me because that would be a nice switch. That's exception. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's th- this is a very very personal choice for a lot of people, but. It's also impacts others, which makes it doubly tough. Um, that's why I always urge people when, you know, they've talked to me and they've said, well, I've done my research. And I, I tell them, you've done Google searches. The people who are scientists who've gotten, you know, gone to school for all those years, have gotten the education, have gotten the papers published, that have gotten peer reviews, things of that nature. Um, those are the ones who've done the research. 
So I understand what you're saying. And I, you know, continually point people to the CDC information um, that is updated, you know, and things do change because the longer this goes on, the more variants we have, um, the more things change. I've been a uh, somebody who's worn cloth masks during almost this entire thing. I'm getting ready to order some uh, some masks that are at the very least three ply and are going to be stronger than that because with this variant, the cloth masks are more ineffective than they were against Delta or the original versions. So as things keep evolving, you need to keep updating your knowledge and doing what's best for you, your family and your fellow employees. And that's what I always stress to folks. Okay, Duncan, uh, we'll move to something else. I'll stay with you for a moment. Uh, the national agreement is something you spent most of last year working on with Laurie and many other chapter presidents who came in to, to assist, but you two were there from beginning to end. And of course the NTU staff was very involved in that as well. Uh, you've had a few months now to it's, it's been in effect. Uh, have there been any bumps on the road as have things been smooth? Uh, what's your assessment of how the national agreement is being implemented? There are always going to be bumps in the road with, with any time an agreement has changed. Um, you know, I, I commend the folks, the ch other chapter presidents who rotated in and out. They did a great job on this. Our national office staff led by uh, former Vice President Jim Bailey and our national uh, head of negotiations, our spokesperson Ken Moffat, as well as Doreen Greenwald, did an outstanding job. And Lori as well was just fantastic in getting a great agreement for our folks. And sometimes we have to remind managers that there are provisions now that are a little bit different where you can telework from 200 miles away instead of 150, where you have the ability to, um, to up to two pay periods per year to telework further from that. If you want to take a vacation with your family, but also do some work where there's going to be childcare subsidies as soon as the IRS gets um, gets everything done with a vendor. They are working diligently on that from what I'm hearing, but it just takes time. So it's one of those things, yeah, there are bumps in the road, but this is a very, very good agreement for employees, for chapters that we worked very, very hard for. And, you know, we just have to continue to educate managers and employees on it. You know, Laurie, when I spent the last six years of my IRS career as a manager, and Duncan never lets me forget that. But uh, I must tell you, I, I uh, they had a national agreement to roll out while I was a manager, and I have to say that is some of the worst training I have ever had. <laughs> they they put us in a room, had us watch a videotape with an LR specialist to answer questions. And I, th I had a whole room full of managers from various places, and I was the only person that had any questions, if that tells you anything. So uh, your assessment of how the national uh, agreement is rolled out. <laughs> well, you know, I hate to agree with Duncan. Oh, my God. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> I have to. Uh, well, first, I want to say, you know, it was it was a lot of work, and I am so proud of of the work that would that we did, and of the of the finished product. I I just think it's a great agreement, and I am very proud of it. So I, I want to say that, and of Duncan. Duncan is such a oh my gosh, Duncan, don't listen to this, but Larry, he really is such. A, he's so knowledgeable, and he is a a, a great leader, and um, I, I'm happy to call him my friend, but. And he didn't even pay me anything for that. But, 
<laughs> but I can tell you, are there bumps in the road? Absolutely. Um, and you hit you hit it when you said about the training for managers. I have received so many questions from managers about the new contract. Um, you know, in this time of all of the hiring, all of the promotions, all the temp promotions, you have a lot of new managers um, that are in place. And so they, some of them are not even aware of the new contract. And <laughs> first of all, and they'll take something like, um, so the, the use of Skype, that, you know, that was taken out of the telework uh, article out of 50 and it was put in article 11. And so then it was like, turn on your cameras and you have to have, you know, turn on your cameras and be available eight and a half hours a day. You have to have your camera on. So what? You know, and no, that's what we were told as managers. Absolutely not. You were not told that. That doesn't even make any sense, you know. And um, I, I attended a town hall and now, what was the language in there, Duncan? Was it practical? Practical. Yeah. Let's be practical. Okay, yeah. so practical. So I'll give you an example of not being practical. So there was a town hall, and so it was a national town hall, and um, probably about two to 3,000 employees. They divided into two days, right? They wanted the employee, so the one I was on only had about six, 700 people. They wanted all of them to have their cameras on. What are you going to see? What how, how, what are you gonna what are you gonna see if you have six seven hundred people with their with the cameras on what what kind of Brady Bunch box are you gonna see that that was so ridiculous you know but they were like well no this is what we can do now and the and apparently the day before it was over a thousand people and they had, wanted them to have their cameras on. what does that make any sense. No. So, you, you know, you have some issues that said, no, according, and, and this is how they put it when they uh, told the employees, according to the NTEU contract, because there's always the NTEU contract, you know, um, according to the NTEU contract, you're supposed to have your cameras on. Oh, my gosh. So <laughs> education and communication are so important. And unfortunately, um, management normally has uh, less than desirable I'm trying to be politically correct. Uh, yeah. Training. Especially compared to ours. And they will actually come to us and say, you know, you guys get such good training and they ask a lot of questions. So I think that once it goes to print and uh, they get a, I'm hoping that once they get the physical copy, um, which they didn't want to give us, by the way. But once we get the, they get the physical copies, and once they watch the little video, what is it, a half an hour video, uh, Duncan, whatever they're gonna do. Uh, one, one, hopefully that will help. But there, there's just a few bumps. Um, but like, like Duncan said, it's a great contract, a lot of benefits uh, for our members. I'm excited about it. Um, not, there were a lot of questions about awards. Um, but that goes back to uh, education and communication. You know, so Larry, uh, Duncan and I had a discussion a few weeks ago. I, I just kind of jokingly said, okay, if they want your camera to be on, what if you just put an emoji up there? <laughs> and then I thought to myself, well, we, we go a step further. We can make it an avatar, which is that yeah. cartoon character which moves like you, but it's not <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm thinking, I just can't wait until some arbitrator gets a hold of that. But uh, anyway, I want to just uh, end this up this way. Um, when Duncan and I did our first 
podcast after January 6th of 2020, I gave a pretty long speech about how I felt about it, and I'm not going to read it again today. I'm just going to say I don't have anything I would change from what I had to say as to what my reaction was watching and, and experiencing what happened at, on January 6th. I have been to some, um, uh, how should I put it, uh, some legislative conferences NTU's put on in the past. So, you know, I got a chance to interact with the Capitol Police, the, the whole staff, people who work in the cafeteria, the people who are staff members to, uh, you know, elected officials of both parties in the Senate and the House. And when I heard about that, I thought, you know, all these good people, are, are what has happened to them and, and why did this happen and how did it happen? And I still have those questions. Uh, you may not have seen this. I'm retired, so I had a chance to watch this before we recorded this this podcast. You know, President Biden gave, I think, the most forceful speech I have ever seen him give about January 6th and what it meant and what we, how we need to go forward. So I'm going to ask each of you just to just give your your thoughts today on the one year. We're recording this on January 6th, the one-year anniversary of what happened on, at the Capitol uh, on January 6th. So, Laurie, I'm going to give you the first shot at this. Uh, your thoughts, your feelings uh, on this one-year anniversary. It, man, am I at a loss of words almost? Um, wow. Shut up, Duncan. <laughs> say oh my gosh here she's okay. trying to make this a heartfelt speech and here's duncan in there playing with her go, <laughs> go ahead laurie it's your, um, it's your gut you know what? it was um i i can't even express my feelings it was i was so astounded uh just uh, just thinking about a year ago and and i remember my family was out of town and i was worried about about them you know, being out of town, being able to get back, what was going to happen? Because you didn't know what was going to spill over, you know, and um, they were actually in Florida. So uh, coming back from vacation and I was I was I was so fearful for them. I was fearful, like you said, for the 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 employees that work on the Hill. Um, as, as an analyst, I used to have the congressional program. So I not only knew local uh, local aides, but also those in DC. So I, you know, I, I was, um, I talked to a few of them that day and they were so, to, to realize how scared they were, scared for their lives. You know, you go, you get up and you go to work and you don't expect anything like this. We, you know, for goodness sakes, this is the United States of America. And um, I cried. <laughs> I would say I cried. I cried for democracy. I I cried for the lack of civility, which I just feel is just, I don't know. It's, it's just, I, I just couldn't believe it. It was unbelievable. And, um, and, and just to be fearful, to fear for your family being out of time. And I just wanted them to be close, close by, you know, and feared for my friends that I had on the hill you know, and, and what they were going through. It, that was just horrible just to think about being scared. You're at work one minute and then the next minute, this is, this is what you have. And for the Capitol Police to have to go through that, they look at what they do every day. They, they show up to work every day to protect the Hill and, and look at how they were treated. I just, it was just astounding and sad. It was very sad to me. So Duncan, I'll give you a chance to weigh in on this. Yeah, I echo uh, both your and Lori's sentiments. I'm a huge believer in free speech. 
The First Amendment is a very big thing to me. But you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. And this was not free speech. When I see the revisionist history that's gone on in the past several months over this, it absolutely infuriates me. This was not an exercise in free speech. This was not a few people that were tourists coming in there. These were insurrectionists, period, end of story. What motivated them, how that started, why it started, why it got so bad, I'm not going to go into here. Everybody's got their own opinion on that. But it was absolutely unforgivable. I feel that they put lives at risk that should not have been at risk. There are still many people that are suffering injuries today that they got um, during that. The Capitol Police, I think, did a wonderful job for what they had available. Um, and I just I can't commend them enough for, you know, as Lori mentioned, coming into work still every day and doing it, knowing that this possibly could happen again. But again, to backstop Lori, this is the United States of America. We have disagreements politically. God knows we have disagreements politically. That's what part of this country is built on. But it's also a bedrock of democracy. We know what we're supposed to do. We know how this is supposed to work. There was not a fraudulent election. This should never have occurred. And I don't want to see this ever having to occur in the United States or anywhere else, um, for that matter, anywhere. I mean, you know, take a look at what's going in um, over in the former, uh, one of the former Soviet republics right now, as we speak. They're, you know, locking down everything because they're being, you know, it's it's an autocracy. It's, it's just democracy is a wonderful thing, and we must do everything we can to protect it. And I think we came very close on January 6th, too, way too close to it being permanently damaged. And I never want to see that again. Yeah, when I saw the news reports of the Russian troops as so-called peacekeepers in Kazakhstan, I thought, okay, I'm not sure peacekeeping is what they're really doing. Uh, you don't want to become like Kazakhstan. Uh, at the very end, uh, Lori, what I usually do is just give uh, each of you a chance to just uh, say anything you would like to say in closing. So just with uh, maybe a minute or so, uh, any any final comment? Well, I would like to thank you, Larry and Dr. for the opportunity to come on to your podcast. Um, I think that you are providing such a great service, not only to your members, because it goes out all over, even to Travis. And so, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, no, you know, it goes out all over and um, I've used it. I I have used your podcast. I have referred to people to it. Um, I think one of the best ones you had was with uh, Jim uh, Bailey. And I refer people to it all the time. I'm like, here, here. (laughs) So I was sharing your podcast. So I just want to thank you for this opportunity. I just want us to um, go back to be kind, be kind to each other, even to Duncan, if you have to. Well, you know, and uh, we hope Jim Bailey is enjoying his retirement. It's now started. So uh, he's out on the ski slopes or wherever he likes to go. Duncan, uh, your final shot for this podcast. Um, Yeah, I I want to commend all the chapter leaders out there, um, Lori among them, who do a wonderful job for their members. 
um, the job that national NTU does that oftentimes don't get recognized. And in our own chapter, you know, I took a lot of use or lose and chief steward Gail Groves stepped up, did, you know, took care of things that needed to be done. So that's, that's what it is. We're always out there for you. Um, and these leaders do not get recognized as much as they should. So leaders like Lori, leaders like Gail, chapter presidents across the country, stewards across the country, national NTU folks, whether they be based in the national office or in staff locations, thank you for the great job you do. You are appreciated. And, you know, continue continue the good fight for employees' rights. And uh, Lori McCann, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you being with us. Duncan, of course, we'll uh, talk to you again hopefully next week. You've been listening to the Chapter 49 podcast and maybe watching it. It's available on YouTube. Just go to Duncan Giles and check all of our YouTube videos of our podcast. We've had them now for the last several months. And all of our podcasts are up on uh, the places you normally find audio podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and and many others. So uh, just uh, go to Podcasts by Larry Lannon. Use that uh, phrase. I have a number of podcasts I produce, and uh, you'll find the Chapter 49 podcasts there. So once again, we thank you for watching and listening. We hope you had a good holiday, got some rest, and enjoyed being with your family. Please be careful out there with the Omicron variant of COVID. In the meantime, we would ask you all to please be safe and be kind.